I'll give you all a warm welcome to our service today. Uh, there'll not be a children's talk today, but um, we'll have an extra singing of a psalm. Uh, we'll start by singing Psalm 100 in the Scottish Psalter, and the tune is Old 100. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. We'll stand to sing. good to come to worship you. We thank you that you have given us many reasons for doing so. We should praise you because of who you are. Uh, we like to see beautiful sights. There's nothing so beautiful as the Lord. Uh, we pray that we would um, get a sight of you we gather here. 
sometimes when we read in your word about people who in one way or another saw you, there was a sense of uh, littleness and weakness of uh, no matter how important they may have been in life, uh, when they saw you, they saw their insignificance. Isaiah, a kind of prince, a prophet, yet when he saw your throne and had an insight into how the angels assessed you, then he assessed himself. And he was full of dread, a mixture of awe and apprehension. And we ask, Lord, that we would have that too. There are many reasons why we should be apprehensive. Our presence can defile your presence. And that is a kind of fearful thing. But we thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from sin and always makes us fit for your presence. Help us then, Lord, as we come in to see the beauty of your mercy, the wonder of your grace, the kindness you have shown to us as sinners. Lord, help us as we there think about you. May our thoughts be right, but may they also be thought in the right way and thought for the right reasons. It is our highest honor to worship you. And therefore, Lord, help us to do so as we draw near at this time. We thank you we are coming to a powerful God. At the same time, we know you're wise. We sometimes wonder why we don't see your power exercised in the ways that we might think it should be done. But that is only an indication of our lack of full wisdom. But we do pray, Lord, that you would exercise your power today graciously and that you would um, work that power within us, as Paul reminds us and when he was uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus and he said that that same power is at work within us and that's really astonishing because when we look at ourselves we might think nothing much is going on within us. But that's a reminder to us that the effects of your power are not necessarily like dynamite, but they may be done gently. And we pray, Lord, that you would work gently according to your power in our souls. We pray you would remind us that you're able to work all things together for good to them that love you. 
we realize that the good there is good at the end, but we thank you that it's also good in the process. And we ask, Lord, that you would be giving us some good things uh, from your word today. We come to you inevitably, that's where we are in life. And life may be hard for us at the moment, or life may be pleasant. Life may be difficult, or it may be straightforward. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever we are, uh, we come to you, the God who does not change, the one who is the same always, consistent and dependable. We just pray that whatever our circumstances are, we will put ourselves into your hands. Remember those of our number who are going through health difficulties at the moment, and we pray that you would bless them according to their needs and work in their lives in the way that is good for them. Lord, we just pray that you would bless the treatment they are receiving. Remember others who have other burdens, and we commit them to you, and we ask you, Lord, to enable us all to cast our cares upon the Lord. And we pray for our denomination today, each place uh, where services are being held. We ask you, Lord, to bless each one of them in both spiritual and also in numerical ways. We want to see growth in both aspects, and we just pray that that would happen today. And we, what we pray for ourselves, we pray for everywhere where the gospel is preached uh, throughout our country, and we ask that you would use today as the commencement of uh, spiritual revival, that we would uh, look back on today uh, throughout our country and see that Something good uh, began that would start to reverse much of the decline that we see around us. We pray for our nation that you would help us as we are going through our current uh, circumstances. There's lots of issues that we should be praying about, but we are concerned primarily about the, uh, the decline of Christianity and we ask you, Lord, to come and reverse uh, that process. And instead of a rapid uh, descent, there would be a, a rapid ascent as people would return uh, to God. Lord, do that, we ask. So be, remember the parts of the world where there's troubles, there are numerous places wars and other natural disasters. We pray you would help those who are trying to help those in such places. Remember your people in those locations and help them to witness as they can. And we pray too for the persecuted church that you would be with them in a special way today. And remember the families of any who are maybe in prison or confined in other ways for their faith, we just ask, Lord, that you yourself, the one who knows where all your people are, 
that you would bless each of them today. Remember the children here. We pray your Lord to bless them and may they grow up uh, loving you and wanting to serve you. And we commit them all into your hands. Remember those who had baptism last week, that you would uh, honor the, uh, your own institution and bring blessing to those families and to all our families. And we pray, Lord, that you would just remember us. Be with others who are not able to be with us today, perhaps on holiday, uh, we commit them to you. So, Lord, remember us and be with us and bless us. For your own name's sake, amen. I will sing Psalm 24 from Sing Psalms. Tuna Sing Columba. The world and all in it are God's, all peoples of the earth. But it was founded by the Lord upon the seas beneath. We'll stand and sing the whole psalm.
in the book of Ruth and chapter 2 and we'll read verses 1 to 12. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you 
by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And may God bless that reading. We'll now sing Psalm 15 from Sing Psalms, and the tune is Grafenberg. Lord, who may stay within your tent, your sacred dwelling place, and who upon your holy hill may live before your face? We'll stand and sing the whole psalm. turn back to the passage you read there in the book of Ruth, and I'd like us just to think about the verses uh, that we have read. Uh, I suppose it is true uh, that sometimes the Bible 
says something, we're meant to wonder why it's been said. And why it has been said in the particular place where it is found. As we read verse 1 of our chapter, what did it say to you? Or what did it say to me? Because there's no obvious connection between it and the previous verse or the next verse. It almost seems to be an interruption in the account, in the developing story. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And of course, I assume we should ask ourselves, why is that verse put there? Whose benefit is it it for? Just imagine if you hadn't read the book before, what effect that would have. And I suppose if we had read the verse, a big long description of Boaz. But we don't get that, do we? Rather, to comment on Ruth. Boaz turns out later in the story, but there's pointers here, isn't there? It's as if the author of the book, who we don't know who it was, but he is saying, take note of this and see what happens when he's mentioned later on. Now, I suppose he could have chosen to say lots of things about Boaz. He could have told us what his age was, for example, but he didn't. He could have told us what his resources were, but he doesn't. Instead, all he tells us, apart from being a relative of Elimelech, is that he's a worthy man. So the detail that has been highlighted is his character. There may be, of course, here a a hint that he's been contrasted with Elimelech. Elimelech, as we know, was Naomi's husband, And when the famine came to Bethlehem, he had decided to move away into the country of Moab, which, normally speaking, would have been the last place on earth for an Israelite to go to. And Elimelech, in the book of Ruth, there's a lot of stress put on the meaning of the names of the characters. And Elimelech, well, he's, his name, as we know, means my God is king. And I suppose the question that arises to that is, well, since your God is king, can he take care of you? And can he take care of you within his domain? 
His, do his domain, of course, was the land of Israel. And Elimelech obviously thought that God could not take care of him in Israel. And therefore he went away to Moab, where there was no famine. But Boaz, he's obviously been there throughout the famine. And his name means strength. Whatever strength he showed, he did show determination, didn't he? To be where he should be. Whatever the circumstances around him were. So his character is highlighted. He's a worthy man. He's obviously got influence in the community, as we can see from the interaction he has with his workers later on. But it's his character. And it becomes fairly obvious from reading about him later in the chapter that what marks his character is he fears God. He's like the man we were singing about in Psalm 15. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? That just basically means who can go and worship him. And we saw the various traits that mark such a person. Worthy. That's the kind of man Boaz was. Commendable. It's good when someone can say that about us, isn't it? Describe our lives with one word. Worthy. And I suppose the question comes up. Who regards him as worthy? Is it his fellow villagers? Is it them who regard him as worthy? Or is it his God? Does God regard him as worthy? These are important questions, are they not? It's problematic if our assessment of somebody is not the same as God's assessment. We might think someone is worthy, and God might not. On the other hand, God might regard someone as worthy, and we might not. But the important thing is for both God and us to have the same opinion. And I suspect here, that's what's been said about Boaz. God regarded him with favor. And the fellow Bethlehemites, they just thought he was worthy of all respect. It's good to be like that. Honest assessment. On target. 
In this verses, Ruth meets Boaz. How did that happen? And what was it like for her on this occasion? We can look at that. I want to look at it through four headings. The headings are fairly straightforward. Looking for food. I mean, that's obviously important here in verses 2 and 3. And then there's greetings that they give in verse 4. Mutual greetings, not between Ruth and Boaz, but between Ruth and his, uh, his servants. And then I'd just like us to think briefly about what it means to be marked by worthy behavior. He is a worthy man. So what does worthy Boaz do in his um, situation? And then lastly, some thoughts about the wonderful blessing that Boaz gives at the end of the day in verse 12. Looking for food there in verses 2 and 3. It's clear that Ruth... Um, raises the initiative here. And I suppose we're meant to notice that. I mean, Naomi is the, the one we'd expect to raise, to take the initiative. But she doesn't. It's a time of barley harvest, as we are told there at the end of chapter 1. And somehow or other, Ruth is aware that in the laws of Israel, Provision was made for strangers at harvest time. Because we're told, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 19, this instruction was given. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. There was divine instruction in a very um, um, kind and considerate manner. But anyway, provision has been made. And it's not too much to say, I think, that Ruth has become aware of it. And after all, she has said uh, to Naomi in chapter 1, that um, her God will be Ruth's God. And whatever this God says, she's going to live her life according to it. And her God has given her instructions about what should be done in the time of harvest. It's her responsibility to go and walk behind the reapers in the harvest field. If she wants to get provision, she's got to do that. If she sits at home, she'll get nothing. She has to follow what God's clear instructions are. And if she does that, she'll get what God has promised. And if we had read on, we'd have found that was the case. 
when we're, when we're told, when she goes back to Naomi with ample provision from having obeyed what God said. And as we think of that, in what ways are we ever going to enjoy God's blessing? And surely the answer to that is obedience to his commandments. I mean, his commands are a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. That was the case at a very basic level with regard to Naomi and Ruth obtaining a food for which to live. But it is rather striking that the recollection of this divine provision came from a young believer and not from an older one. The older one doesn't say to Ruth, I think you should go down there and do it because God has promised. The younger one brings the attention of the older one to that provision. And Naomi, maybe she felt rebuked. Who knows? But the lesson for us is obvious. And sometimes faith shows itself in actions. There are aspects of faith that nobody else ever sees. I mean, we know that. Secret prayer. Well, Jesus distinctly said nobody should ever see that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he pointed out that we, his disciples, are not to be like those who put on some kind of public performance to indicate that they are praying. So there are some things in the life of faith that are invisible and no one else ever sees or should ever see. But on the other hand, there are some things that are visible. And this action of uh, Ruth, well, it was visible. People saw it. And we read about the testimony of the servant of Boaz of what he thought of the eagerness with which Ruth practiced this divine requirement. She's been at it all day, he says. I mean, she took God at his word literally, didn't she? How much can I get? She may have said to herself. What's the best time to get as much as I can get? Well, start as soon as possible. And just keep at it. And because she did, she got a lot. Her faith was active. Active in obedience to God's word. What if Ruth had not obeyed? What would she have got? Nothing.
promise that says, if you're obedient, you'll eat the fruit of the land. Isaiah says, doesn't he? Oh, that you had listened to my commandment. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. What great peace Ruth had that evening when she went home with all she had gathered. Simple action done in straightforward obedience to God's word. don't know about you, but most problems that come in the spiritual life come from a lack of obedience. They may not come from downright disobedience. They might just come from lack of obedience. Obedience are links in the chain of the path of spiritual blessing. Yesterday's obedience is gone. Tomorrow's obedience hasn't come yet. It's always in the present tense. Looking for food. That's how Ruth showed her faith. And God rewarded her. Faith is always rewarded. And then secondly, there's mutual greetings. Or thirdly, mutual greetings. Boaz, well, maybe it was prearranged that he would come at this particular time. Maybe he, his workers knew that this was a time of day where he would arrive and so on. But providentially, we can say he came when Ruth was within earshot. And she's introduced to the worthy man. And she's introduced to him by what he says. Isn't that interesting? First impressions are always very important. And the first impressions that was made on Ruth about Boaz is what he says. And what people say to him. Benedictions going back and forth. The Lord be with you, he says. The Lord bless you, they say. It's a command to bless. I mean, Jesus says that to his disciples, doesn't he? 
bless and don't curse. So words are important, and certainly first impressions are important. And as we look at what the what um, Boaz has got to say and what the reapers have got to say, we can say that their words are basically marked by two things. Simplicity and spirituality. And quite often the two of them go together. Simplicity and spirituality. A lot can be said in a few words. The Lord be with you. What a wonderful statement. He's not referring to divine omnipresence. If that's what we take from this statement, we're missing the point. In that particular sense, God is always there. And he's never going to go away. I mean, God is with us all the time. But he can be with us in different ways. What would Boaz have in mind when he says to the, his workers, the Lord be with you. Well, maybe he's wanting them to have protection. It wasn't uncommon for Israel to be invaded at this particular time and when the judges ruled. And that's the time in which Ruth and Boaz are located. The book of Judges is all about invasions, one after the other. And... I suppose invaders quite like it when they can just go and get what people have worked hard to gather. So maybe when he was saying, the Lord be with you, protection. Or maybe as they worked away in the midday sun and so on, the hot weather, he wanted the Lord to give them strength. Because such work could be Draining. If the Lord is with you, power is there. Or maybe he wanted harmony as they work together. Because the one thing the Lord does love in that kind of situation is people doing it together. So Protection and strength and harmony. And maybe they could just speak to one another and say, how wonderful it is now that the famine is over. And God in his providence has now given them so much to gather that even what's left lying on the ground is a vast amount. Their literal, their feet are literally walking in God's abundance. The Lord be with you. He didn't just say it meaninglessly, did he? 
if he did, it's almost blasphemy to take the name of the Most High and use it without consideration. The Lord be with you. It's not just in the Old Testament that this happened. It's throughout the New Testament. For example, the Apostle John writing to his friend Gaius. And Gaius was problems to a man called Diotrephes. And John says to Gaius, Peace be to you. God provides what Diotrephes wasn't providing. John meant it when he said it. So what do we say when we draw other people's attention to the great God of heaven? One reason why we've been given the gift of speech to use it for the glory of God. And of course, custom would probably suggest that Boaz has to speak first. So there's a certain sense in which it's his responsibility to set the tone. He does it with this simple statement. The Lord be with you. And then they reply, the Lord bless you. And of course, the author is telling us to notice things, isn't he? What blessing can Boaz probably get? Well, how about the girl that's picking up the, the barley lying on the ground? I mean, the reapers don't suggest that, do they? Boaz doesn't suggest, expect that, does he? But it is a prayer, the Lord bless you. And sometimes God does answer our prayers far above what we can ask or think. Give good and spiritual things. That's what they're wanting for Boaz, isn't it? The Lord bless you abundantly, Boaz. Well, what do you give to the wealthiest man in Bethlehem? He probably couldn't have answered that question. But God knew how to answer it. But anyway, the point is conversation. Imagine if this was the kind of way every workplace where the managers and the, those under their authority spoke in this way. 
unrealistic, of course. But here it was possible. So since it was possible, they did it. And in circumstances where it is possible, we should do it. There is something unbecoming for Christians to meet and for no blessings to be shared. Just reminding one another of the graciousness of God. Saying something about Jesus. How precious. How sweet. How suitable. How necessary. How important. It may be that we meet another Christian who's going through something of inner turmoil. And God in his providence brings us into their path. We don't know it. But our words should help them. And they certainly were good here. And they certainly helped Ruth as she listened to this worthy man. And the respect that the people of Bethlehem had for him. And he shows he's a worthy man with worthy behavior. He spots the stranger. That, that is certainly very challenging, isn't it? He spots the stranger right away. Says there in verse 5, whose young woman is this? I mean, there's lots of them around. Because that's what they're doing here at the harvest time. But Boaz, he spots her. He spots the one who's not there normally. And arranges to find out who she is. And he gets the report from the, super, the supervisor. And when he gets it, because he is careful, he's a wise man. He realizes that it is possible that she might be known to somebody else. But since she is a stranger, it's likely that nobody else does really know who she is or care for her the way that she needs to be cared for. And once he discovers who she is and what she's like, he arranges for her safety. He arranges for her needs to be met. He took seriously his responsibilities. And he commends 
her to God, as we'll think about in a minute. But I just want us to take to note that the worthy man spotted the stranger and did something about it. And what he did about it, initially, was very simple. He spoke about her. And that is challenging, isn't it? Spot the stranger. Speak to the stranger. Help the stranger. And then, fourthly, the ble- or fifthly, the blessing of God. What a beautiful description he gives of God there in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This imagery of God. It's a God of tenderness, isn't it? I mean, if the Bible didn't do it, we would never think of liking God to a mother bird, would we? But since the Bible does it, then we have to think about it. I mean, the Bible quite often uses animals to help us understand God. He's like a lion. Here he's like a a bird, caring for its young. And of course, it's not just Boaz that says that, is there? I mean, Jesus says it. When he says about the people of Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen does her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Our kind, gracious God. And what a beautiful picture. How much of a chick does the wings of the mother hen cover? Well, you can't actually see the chicks when the wings are there. And all the chicks are usually there. And her wings hide all of them. And our God is able to hide one or hide a million. But he's able to hide them all in the same way. Tenderness. Under the mother hen's wings, it's, it's very comfortable and very warm. And the presence of God should certainly be like that. In his presence, we should feel at home. 
comfortable. And in his presence, we should be spiritually warm. Because the heat comes from the mother hen. And the warmth of our affections comes from God. And if the chicks could speak to each other, they would just say, what a wonderful place this is. Can't see any of the enemies. But all I sense is the warmth that comes from my protector. Boaz, he looked at a young girl who needed protection. And he described his God in the way that she needed to hear about him. Surely, we should be able to do the same. And we say to someone in words that indicate the nearness of God. Because you can't get much closer than wings over the chicks. That's what Jesus wanted to do for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. How many thousands of them there were. He knew he had the resources. And our God always does. And he, Boaz says to Ruth, it's quite extraordinary. He says to her, basically, God owes you something, doesn't he? The Lord repay you. I mean, that is what the words mean, isn't it? The Lord owes her something. Not because some or other she's got a, a hold on God and is forcing him to bestow grace. But God is no one's debtor. And if we do something for him, in his amazing kindness, he normally does something back. Ruth, what has she done? She looked after her mother-in-law. God took note of it. Boaz had heard about it. And when Boaz heard about it, he didn't just say, well, that's a lovely thing that Ruth has done. He took, in his thinking, he took Ruth's actions into the presence of God and said to himself, what will God do about this? And his answer is, the Lord will repay you. 
And the repayment, as he says there in verse 12, will be a full reward. Whatever that is, God will provide it. The Lord delights to bestow practical blessing. He delights to provide us with things from his heavenly storehouse. Who can say what they happen to be at any given time? But the one thing we do know is that he's got plenty to give. He's a God of all grace. Not just the God of the totality of grace, but the God of all varieties of grace. Just want to close with this. But it is an example of it. What Malachi said. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. This book of remembrance is God is going to take a note of what he is going to reward someone for. These people gathered together, had their little chat about the things of God. What is God going to do in response? What is his full reward? Well, he tells us. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. The great day will reveal what God thought of our gatherings together. The obvious implication, of course, is that we have to gather together. So that's Boaz, the worthy man. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks for the characters in your word. Some of them shine with the beauty of grace. Help us, Lord, to be like them. Thank you for the gospel that makes it possible. For the Holy Spirit who can sanctify us and turn us into the image of Christ. Lord, help us to be like Boaz worthy in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God. Remember us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing from Psalm 118 and sing Psalms, verses 25 to 29. The tune is Duke Street. 
Save us, O Lord, we humbly pray. O Lord, we pray, grant us success. He's blessed who comes in God's great name. You from the Lord's house, we will bless. Verses 25 to 29. Save us, O Lord, we of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.